Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin at verse 7. And let's read the word of the Lord together. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the confidence we have and the assurance we have that you are at work and that we have no reason to turn back now. I pray that you will infuse us with the courage to keep moving forward. I pray now that you'll open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I ask that you will draw them to a place of repentance. Don't let one of them be lost, O oh Lord. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, that matchless, strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I heard the story about three ministers who were having a discussion about the most appropriate and effective positions for prayer. As they were talking, a, there was a telephone repairman who was working on the phone system in the background. One minister stated that he felt the key to effective praying was in his hands. He always held his hands together and pointed them upward as a form of symbolic worship. The second suggested that real prayer was most effective when it was conducted on your knees. The third said they both had it wrong. The only position worth its salt was to pray while stretched out flat on your face. They went back and forth, but by this time the phone man couldn't stay out of the conversation any longer. He interjected, I found that the most effective prayer I ever made was while I was dangling upside down by my heels from a power pole suspended 40 feet above the ground. <laughs> Might be something to that. I'm... One of the things I've discovered is that there's a lot of frustration when it comes to prayer. Sometimes you barely have time to think about praying for a matter and bam, it happens. Other times... You agonize for hours and days and weeks and even years and nothing, no movement, no change, not even an acknowledgement that the request has been heard. Some days the heavens are open and the glory is coming down. Other days the heavens are as brass, and instead of ascending to the ears of God, the prayer seems to drop to the floor the moment it leaves your lips. 
It's frustrating when you hear the testimonies of others who seem to get results from every prayer they utter while you're being just as faithful and just as diligent and nothing ever changes. Frustration and disappointment in prayer causes some people to stop praying altogether. Frustration and disappointment cause some people to pray out of routine or obligation. You know you should pray, so you go through the motions, but there's no real expectation that it's going to have any effect. Does any of that sound familiar to anybody? Has anybody else ever been there with prayer? Seven of us, okay. <laughs> These are some of the problems and some of the issues I've personally had to deal with in my walk with the Lord over the years. If you're anything like me, I suspect you would like to know what it takes for your prayers to be more effective. What will it take to recapture the confidence that will make your prayer life more rewarding and satisfying? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about in the messages this month. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to look at four different aspects of this mysterious practice we call prayer. And from this, we're going to discover some principles that will make your prayers more effective. And it's interesting to me that the only time the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something, they ask, them, they ask him to teach them to pray. <laughs> they didn't ask him to teach them to walk on water. I mean, as cool as that would have been. They didn't ask him to teach them how to turn water into wine, which, which would surely have gotten them invited to all the best parties. They just asked him to teach them to pray. The verses that form the text for the message today come from what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. In the Gospel of Luke, you have this prayer also in a slightly different version that's given as a response of Jesus to the request of the disciples to teach them to pray. Here in Matthew, it comes as part of the teaching on what it means to live as a person that is part of the kingdom of God. Either way, this instruction is the starting point on the subject of prayer, for it is here that the Lord Jesus gives a pattern for prayer. When Jesus gives these instructions about how to pray, he isn't giving us a specific prayer to recite. He isn't saying, you must pray these words in this sequence. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with reciting these words, but it isn't intended to be a ritual to follow. Instead, Jesus, when he teaches about prayer, he gives a pattern or an outline to follow. He was saying, do you want to pray for 10 minutes? Then pray this way. Do you want to pray all night? Then pray this way. Do, do you want to live your life as a prayer? Then pray this way. These are the guidelines that make prayer effective. Here's the pattern to follow. The pattern begins with a right relationship. Jesus says in verse 9, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. Anytime you pray our Father or my Father, the term has an implied understanding that you're his child. 
You know, if you were to go out on the street and just randomly stop people and ask them, you would find the great preponderance of them think of God, if they think of him as all, they think of him as a universal father. In fact, there are many who proclaim him as father of all. While it is true that he is the creator of everyone and everything, and people are his creatures, still, God is not everyone's father. He is only the father of them that love him and do his will. What makes prayer effective isn't just that he's the great God of the universe. It isn't just that he's omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. It isn't just that he's almighty and grand and glorious and supreme. But this eternal, majestic, righteous, holy, awesome God is your father. When you pray, you're not talking to some impersonal spirit being. You're not addressing some lofty idea or some higher consciousness. You aren't bowing before some cosmic deity or some disembodied force. Instead, you're walking in a dynamic relationship. You're a child connected to a loving, kind, merciful, good father. That's why Psalm 103, 13 says, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You know, you might be hesitant to let some stranger know the issues you have and the burdens you carry, but this isn't just anybody. It's not some stranger. This is your father. You can cast all your anxiety, all your care, all your burden on him. You're his child. He cares for you. You know, were he simply an earthly father, you might not come to him because maybe you had a difficult relationship with your earthly father. And so to think of God as your father, that just conjures up all kind of crazy, crazy, unresolved issues. Were he an earthly father, you might not come to him because his power would be limited and you wouldn't want to bother him with something he couldn't remedy. But listen, this is no earthly father. He's the Lord of the universe, and he's your father. He's the God who has no beginning and will never have an ending, and he's your father. He's the God who created everything that is in existence by the word of his power, and he's your father. He's the God who transformed a bad band of wandering nomads into a mighty nation. And he's your father. He's the God who brought that nation out of Egyptian bondage. And he's your father. He's the God who provided food and water for this nation of over 2 million people as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And he's your father. He's the God who brought his chosen people into the land of plenty. And again, he's your father. He's the God who set his approval upon King David to rule over his people. And he's your father. He's the God who preserved one of his prophets through the ever replenishing supply of the widow's meal and oil. And he's your father. He's the God who delivered three Hebrew boys from the midst of the fiery furnace. And he's your father 
father. He's the God who preserved Daniel from being devoured in a den of lions, and he's your father. He rides on the wind. He sits on the flood. His way is in whirlwind and storm. Clouds are the dust beneath his feet, and I'm talking about your Father, he is merciful, he is slow to anger, he is plenteous in mercy, he is patient and kind, he is giving and forgiving, he is gracious and good, and this is your father. This isn't just the God of Abraham. This isn't just the God of Moses or of David or Elijah or Isaiah or Peter or Paul or John. I'm talking about your Father, this is who is on the other end of your prayer. You're not bringing a petition to an impersonal deity. You're making a request of your Father. Remember what we used to sing in old church? And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. The pattern for prayer that is effective begins with a right relationship. If you want your prayers answered, you just need to be in the right relationship where he is your father and you're his child. Not only that, but then Jesus teaches that your prayer needs to have a proper praise. He says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. His name is the representation of his nature and his character. His name stands for who he is. To know his name is to know his personality. His temperament, his love, his mercy, his power. That word hallow means to set apart. It means to make holy. It means to respect greatly. To praise his name, to hallow his name, gets the focus off of you and onto him. It gets you out of your problem and into his solution. It gets you out of your lack and into his fullness. It gets you out of what you can't do into what he can do. It gets you out of what you aren't and into all that he is. When you hallow his name, then that's when you tap into the infinite source of all that he is and that all that he can bring to your point of need. If you're going to praise, to hallow, to set apart, to make holy, to respect greatly his name, then you have to know his name. I know that you... That's just elementary basic stuff. But you've got to know his name. See, in his name is found everything you need for every issue you have. Well, that means if you're sick, well, his name is healer. Not just a healer. He's your father. That means he's your healer. Somebody needs to grab hold of that right now. You need to recognize that when you're praying, it's not just that he's everybody else's healer. He's your healer. This is is personal. This is my prayer. This is a prayer I pray. He's my healer. If your world is in turmoil, his name is peace. He's your peace. If you have a financial need, he's your provider. If you are under attack, he's your defender. If you're weak, he's your strength. If you're grieving, he's your comfort. If you feel like you just can't go on anymore, he's your life. Whatever your place of need, why don't you just start hallowing his name? Call his name into your point of need. Put your focus on who he is with your praise. Speak his name into your place of need. He's your God. He's your father. Speak his name. Praise his name before you give up in despair. Put his name on it. 
pattern for effective praying begins with a right relationship. It includes a proper praise. And then it needs a sincere submission. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let me just tell you. One of the reasons more prayers don't get answered is because you're asking God to move mountains he doesn't want moved. So you have to remember it isn't your kingdom. It's his kingdom. I've discovered too many times the prayers of the people of God sound like placing an order with a waiter off a menu at a restaurant. This last week, Betsy and I were out to dinner for an anniversary dinner. And uh, some lovely restaurant that we were in. And uh, the waitress came over and to receive our order and wanted to start with a salad. And so I said, you know, I'm going to have this chopped salad you've got on the menu. She says, do you know what's in our chopped salad? I said, well, no, I don't guess I do. Why don't you tell me what's in your chopped salad? So she began to name all of the, all of the different ingredients that were in the chopped salad. And I realized there were some of those things that I wasn't real crazy about. So I said, okay, can you leave out this and this and this? And I named about three different things. Can you take those out? And she said, sure, we can do that. Well, some people, that's the way they do their prayers. God says, this is what I want to do. And we say, well, could you, t- could you take that out? And could you do this a little differently? And could you, you know. It's not ordering off of a menu. Instead of beginning your prayer with a request for what you want or what you need, the better question that positions you for favor and blessing is the one that says, Lord, what do you want? It's really a question of trust. Do you trust God to do what's best for you? Do you trust him to work all the pieces around so that things work best for you? See, lots of people say they're trusting God for their salvation. They're trusting him with their eternal destiny. So why will you not trust him with your present problem? If you truly trust him, then surrender. To go against the will of God can do nothing but diminish life. So in simple humility and trust, surrender. Let go. We used to say it this way in church. Let go and let God. When when you get the first three parts of the pattern in place, the right relationship, the proper praise and sincere submission, you may not even need to get to the next one because most of the issues are going to be resolved. But just in case, let me give them to you. The next part of the pattern for effective praying is a respectful request. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Literally, deliver us from the evil one. Every time I read that phrase, daily bread, I can't help but think of the nation of Israel being fed manna as they traveled in the wilderness. You remember that story? Every morning they would go outside and gather this heavenly bread. The first time it fell on the ground, they they looked at it. They'd never seen anything like that. They didn't know what it was, so they said, what is it? And And the name stuck. That's what manna means. What is it? They called it, what is it? What are you having for breakfast today? What is it? How about lunch? What is it? Dinner? Yeah. What is it? 
Man in the morning, man in noontime, you know, man at supper time, all the time, manna. Manna every way you can fix it. Boiled manna, fried manna. Manna on a stick. Manna cotty. Manna pudding. You know, just lots of manna. manna. What is it? I don't know, but we'll eat it, you know. Every morning they went outside, they gathered this bread, they called it manna, gathered off the ground. By the time the dew evaporated, the manna was gone, until the next day when they would go out and gather it again. You couldn't gather enough for an entire week because it would spoil overnight. But day by day, every morning, food was provided for 40 years until they entered the promised land of Canaan. And I want to tell you, that's exactly the way God provides for His children. It's a cliche, but it's still true. One day at a time. One day at a time. God does not give you everything you need for the rest of your life. But he gives you what you need for today. It's what the prophet was talking about in Lamentation chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, when he said, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, you were able to open your eyes this morning because the Lord kept you through the night. And when you pillow your head at the close of the day, you'll be able to look back and say, the Lord has kept me through one more day. See, what happens is we start looking so far in advance. We think we're looking into the future. We're looking ahead saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how. And, and we get all upset. We get all frustrated and everything gets tied up in knots. And we start weeping and we fall into depression. And God says, why don't you just stop and look at this day? Daily bread, right now. What is God doing right now? Am I still here? He's still keeping me. What about, what about the next minute? He's still keeping me. How about next hour? Well, guess what? God's kept me through this hour one day at a time. That's the way God works. He'll give you enough grace to make it through today. You needn't think God is going to give you enough grace to last the rest of your life. It doesn't work that way. You don't need grace for the rest of your life. You just need enough for today. And he'll give you enough grace to make it through today. And just when you think you've exhausted the store of grace and you're going to have to find a way to make it on your own, when you roll out of bed the next morning, there's going to be a fresh supply to get you through another day. Day by day by day by day. That's the way God works in your life. If he did it any other way, you'd start trusting in yourself instead of trusting him. Asking for daily bread demonstrates a trust that God is going to handle the problems and the pain of yesterday and that he will take care of the challenges of tomorrow as well. And notice, if you will, please, Jesus says this request is to be made in community. It's to be made in relationship with the people around you. Remember, he did not say, pray, give me today my daily bread. No, he said, give us this day our daily bread. And he went on and he said, and forgive us our debts. You pray for forgiveness, but the people who are part of the kingdom know this forgiveness is measured with the same measure you use to forgive others. Now, we wish he hadn't put that in there. We wish he'd just kind of left that out and, and, and ignored that part of the equation. But, that, but it's there, so we got to deal with it. He's, he goes on right after this. He says, for if you forgive others, 
for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And here's the verse we don't like. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. I'm hoping in this series that I'm doing on prayer, I'm hoping to actually do an entire message on this idea of forgiveness. You'll all want to be here for that. It's going to be encouraging, inspiring, and you'll probably just shout me down the whole time. In Matthew, Jesus says to pray, forgive us our debts. Other other translations use this word transgressions. These are offenses against God and offenses against others. The best known word for this in the church that we use all the time is sin. Forgive our sin. In the New Testament, there are five different words that speak of sin, and each has a slightly different meaning and emphasis. There's the word harmatia, which means to miss the mark. It's the sin of failing to be what God wants you to be, failing to be what you might have been, failing to agree with God's declaration of who you are. Do you know that any time you try to accept an identity that is different from what God says you are, that's sin? That is sin because God says, I've called you to be this. I say you're this. I say you're this. I say this about you. And the moment you say, no, this is who I am, and you take on an identity that is contrary to the way God made you and what God says about you, God says that's sin. I'm about to get in some deep weeds, so I might as well just go ahead and plunge right on in. But I can just tell you that that's one of the reasons, one of the issues that I have with, with all of this gender identity that is going on around us that everybody's trying to change. They're identifying as something other than what God has made them and calls them to be. When you, when you say, I'm going to, that's the issue I have with somebody standing up and saying, I'm an alcoholic. God didn't call you that. When you identify, you take on an identity other than what God has called you. That's what God calls sin. It's like shooting an arrow that misses or fails to reach the target. That's harmatia. I got to go on. There's parabasis, which means to step across the line. It's that word for trespass. It's a deliberate disobedience, willfully crossing the line to a place that is off limits. And then there's a word, paraptoma, which means to slip across. It wasn't something intentional. It wasn't premeditated. It's, it's, it's a bit like walking across a patch of ice and slipping, falling down, and hurting yourself. In reality, you shouldn't have been on the ice in the first place. But when you got there, you slipped and fell. That's paraptoma. Another word is anomia, which means without law. It means lawless. It's that desire to do your own thing, to be a law unto yourself, to throw off all restraints of family, of society, of government, and especially of God. It's this sin of anomia that people commit, and often the only thing that keeps you from completely running wild is the fear of getting caught. I don't need a show of hands on that. I started to ask how many of you, never mind. Fine. Finally, there is ophelima, which means debt. This speaks of the things owed to God or owed to someone else. 
When you fail to render to God and to others what is properly theirs, the Bible says you sin. Now that's what's at stake with this request when we make it forgive us our debts. It's a prayer for forgiveness for missing the mark, for deliberately stepping across the line, for slipping and falling, for acting outside the law, and for the debt that is owed by withholding what properly belongs to God or someone else. And the promise of God is, I will forgive you all these things to the same extent you forgive the person who has committed these things against you. So let me ask you something. Don't raise your hand on this, please. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Would you be willing for God to use the same measurement of forgiveness that you use towards someone who has wronged you by missing the mark, by deliberately stepping across the line, by accidentally slipping and falling, by egregiously offending you, by failing to give you what is rightfully yours? That's the way kingdom people live. It's a respectful request. It's a request made not just in light of what God has promised or what God can do for you, but it's made in the context of a forgiving relationship with those who have wronged you. You are forgiven to the same degree that you forgive. Now, isn't everybody excited about the fact that you came to church today to hear the pastor preach? I mean, just, yeah, it's too late now bad when you have to ask for affirmation that way, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to show you a pattern that will help your prayers become effective. You want your prayers to be effective? Well, you're going to have to live in this forgiveness. You're going to have to request respectfully. The pattern for effective praying includes a right relationship, a proper praise, a sincere submission, and a respectful request. And then finally, there's the summation of sovereignty. He says, we pray yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The pattern for effective prayer begins in praise and ends in worship of the God who is over all. Now, you got to get this. Please get this. Too many people think, well, if I do point one, two, three, and four, then I'm just automatically going to equal out to what I've asked for. And you, fit, you failed to factor in the sovereignty of God. At the end of the day, God is over all. And he's the one that calls the shots, not you. He's God, you're not. Somebody needs to write that in big bold letters and put it on your bathroom mirror where you'll see it every morning. He's God, I'm not. So you're going to have to leave it in his hands. See, there are some some who seem to be confused about this issue. They seem to think there's this giant cosmic struggle going on between good and evil and right and wrong and God and the devil. But the Bible is very clear. There is no suggestion of dualism with God and the devil struggling for dominance in a battle whose outcome is uncertain. You will never find that in the Word of God. The words of the old hymn describe the way it really is. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. 
Jesus who died shall be glorified and earth and heaven be one. I want to tell you, it may not always look like it on the outside, but God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a design. He is fully and unalterably sovereign. Nothing that is going on in this world and nothing that is going on in your life has taken him by surprise. There is nothing that can topple him off of his throne of authority. This universe and everything in it are under his command. He is sovereignly working, bringing all the pieces together at the appropriate time so that everything comes together just exactly as he said it would. God had the power to set everything in motion in the beginning and God has the power to finish everything he started. And when it all comes down to an end, you're going to find the truth of 2 Peter 3 and 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with fervent heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And that would be cause for ultimate despair until you get to verse 13 that then sounds a note of hope when it says, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And when all is said and done, you're going to find the truth of Isaiah 6 and 1 in the year of King Uzziah's death I saw the Lord. He wasn't worried. He wasn't tw twisting his hands and wringing his hands. He wasn't nervous. He wasn't all tight. Oh, it's not there in the original, but I'm just adding to let you know what's really going on. In the year of King Uzziah's death, when Isaiah was all upset about what was going on in the kingdom, he said, oh, I got my eyes a little bit higher. I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. And I'm telling you he still sits with the heavens as his throne and the earth as his footstool he has not surrendered his scepter of authority to another and when all the forces of evil are launched against him when every diabolical scheme has been executed to try and overthrow him when powers and principalities have formed an alliance for one final attempt at dominion when the dust settles and the smoke clears you're going to be left with one truth revelation 1115 the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever praise be God I'm telling you he has the power to establish his kingdom on this earth and he has the power to establish his kingdom with all of its benefits in your life pattern for effective praying is comprised of a right relationship, a proper praise, a sincere submission, a respectful request, a summation of sovereignty. When these components are in place, it then concludes with amen. So be it. God grant it. <laughs> amen is more than some kind of Roger over and out to the prayer session. Amen is the way you come into agreement with what God is already doing. See, God gives the plan. You say, amen. God directs the way. You say, amen. God makes the promise. You say, amen. 
This is how the prayer becomes effective. You live in the amen. When you say amen, you line up in agreement with God. And when you are in line with God's will and purpose, then you know you have the request for which you pray, for you are just praying back to God what he has already promised to perform. When you say amen to God, then you can relax. Because that's when you have the confidence that he's going to fulfill his word no matter how long it takes. You're just... God said he's going to do it. Amen. That's what we see all through the Bible. You know, God, God shows up to a man named Abraham. Actually, his name is Abram at the time. And says, get out of where you're living right now. Go to a land I'm going to show you. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abraham says, Amen. And he winds up in Canaan. He didn't even know where he was going. God just said, I'll show you when you get there. He just said, amen. A little bit later, he's changed his name to Abraham. And he says, "Um, I'm going to give you a son. He says, well, that's going to be a little tough, God. I mean, I'm an old man. My wife, she's pretty, but she's an old woman. She's long past the time when we want to be changing diapers. Those midnight feedings, mm-mm. God says, I'm going to do it. And he's, I mean, he's got all kind of reasons why that won't work. But at the end of the day, God says, this is my promise. And Abraham just says, amen. And nine months later, along comes Laughter. Baby Isaac. Amen. Every time God makes a promise and his people say amen, even when it takes a long time to get there. You know, Joseph is a 17-year-old boy and he's got dreams. He just said amen. Well, you know Joseph's trials. I mean, the next thing you know, it leads him to being uh, thrown in a pit Then he's being sold into slavery. Then he's in Potiphar's house, and Mrs. Potiphar has an issue with him, and he's being thrown in the prison, and something like 13 years goes by before the realization of the amen. See, just because you say amen doesn't mean that it automatically just bang, bim, bam, it's done. Hmm, sometimes it takes a while. Because God's working pieces around. See, see, when I'm, I need to quit, the, quit this message. My time is up. But I, can you give me just, just that much longer? Just that much longer. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll try to do it in that much time. If not, I'll ask for it again. <laughs> um, see, what we do is we pray and we want it now. And when we pray, we're praying that God will do what's best for us. Come on, because we're selfish. But when God answers, he's not doing just what's best for you. 
but also what's best for your spouse and for your children and for your parents and for your friends and for your neighbors and for anybody that's concerned in the situation. Now, if it was up to me, I would do it, I would answer it, and it would be what's best for me, but it may or may not be what's good for you. Because I don't know how to work all of that. But God is so much bigger, so he can work the thing around so it's what's best for me, and it's what's best for everybody else. Now, sometimes when God answers my prayer that way, I don't feel like it's best for me. Come on. Be honest. Sometimes I'm like, I, are you kidding me? That's not the way I was praying. That's no, nowhere near what I had in mind. And that's where I have to say, but I'm going to trust you, God. And here's what I've discovered. You know, I... I I'm one of the most blessed people in this world. Um, I'm blessed because I was born into a home that loved me, cared for me, and nurtured me, not just physically, but spiritually. I'm blessed because my parents were godly parents, and they raised me in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. They raised me to the point that, you know, when I was, when I was five years old, I, I surrendered my life to Jesus. When I was eight years old, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've walked with Jesus for a long time. And in all that time, there have been times that I look back on it and say, I just do not get this. Until I get way far down the road and I look back, and I look in the rearview mirror just a little bit, and I say, oh, that's what that was all about. Most things God does will not make sense moving forward. They will only make sense in hindsight. And some things you will never understand until you stand in his eternal presence. Well, I've gotten a little far afield. Thank you for indulging me let this is the pattern of prayer that causes it to be effective right relationship proper praise sincere submission respect respectful request summation of sovereignty amen this is the pattern to follow when you want to pray in agreement with the instruction of jesus you come to him as a child comes to his father Acknowledge the complete sovereignty of God. Recognize that he always knows what's best. Find out what God says about the issue and pray in agreement with what he says. And submit your will to his will. Live in right relationship with others. Wrap it all up in an expression of worship where you leave the details up to him. And then live in the amen. Live in the assurance that he's heard and God will always give what is best to those who leave the choice with him. So let me ask you, insert this real quick. See, sometimes you can change God's mind. But every time you do, you're going to get yourself in trouble. 
Pastor, are you sure that's Bible? Hey, I, I, I've got Bible for it. Isaiah goes into King Hezekiah and says, set your house in order, you're going to die. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and prays, oh God, don't let me die right now. Before Isaiah gets out of the palace, he turns around and says, the Lord's changed his mind. He's going to give you another 15 years. Well, in one sense, that was good for Hezekiah. However, it was during that 15 years that Manasseh was born. And the Bible says Manasseh was the absolute worst king that Israel ever had. Why don't we just leave the choice with God? Are y'all okay with this? Y'all all right with that? Live in the amen. Live in the assurance that God's heard. He will always give what is best when you leave the choice with him. So let me ask you. Let's stand together. Pastor Larry, come play and shut me up. Um, is there something you've been praying for? Maybe, maybe you've been praying for a long time and you don't feel like you're getting anywhere with it. Just wonder if anybody would say, That's, that, yeah, I, I got something. Yeah. Okay. I just want to ask you this. You don't need to raise your hand about it, but do it in your own heart. Would you be willing to just surrender that to the Lord today? To surrender it, to to release it to Him. Say, God, I've prayed about this. I'll still talk to you about it, but I'm, I'm going to take my hands off of it. I'm going to let you do it your way. I'm going to release it to you. Would you do that? Bow with me, please. If there's anybody saying that right now in your heart, Lord, I'm just releasing, I'm going to release it to you. Now I'm going to ask you, can I see your hand to say, I want to give it to him today. I'm going to release it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these people right now. Oh, Lord, you see our heart. You, you hear our hurt. You know the longing that we have. You know our desire. Lord, we've prayed. We've agonized. We've done all we know to do. So, today, we just want to say to you, we trust you. We trust that you've heard our prayer. And right now, in the quietness of this moment, I just want to release it to you. Take this, Lord. This is a burden for me. I give it to you. Do with it the way you know is best. And I release it to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the peace and the courage that comes when I trust you implicitly. Thank you, Lord.